We'll be in Mark chapter 11 today, and we're going to talk a little bit about today about this idea of authority. It's going to rub some of us the wrong way. Uh, In America, ever since the Enlightenment, uh, this French idea of the Enlightenment, which kind of birthed America, we have this idea, a lot of it's good, by the way, a lot of it's good, but we have this idea in us that we can just do whatever I want to do. It's a free country, I can do whatever I want. Um, now, most of us probably wouldn't say it like that, uh, but we believe that. We act and believe as if a lot of the rules don't, simply don't apply to us. And I'll give a quick story um, of how this works itself out. I was uh, going to a bachelor party uh, with some guys. Uh, it was the night before the wedding. It was several years ago. Uh, it wasn't like a weird bachelor party. We were going to watch Spider-Man, so it was pretty awesome. Uh, so we're going to the theater to watch Spider-Man. First, we met at Moe's. And I'm the only guy who doesn't know anyone else. Like, I'm by myself. There's all these other guys, and they're talking. They know each other. So I hit it off with this one guy, um, and we're talking. We're eating, you know, we're eating burritos, and we're having a good time, and I'm getting to know him, and it's fun. Uh, He's like a, uh, he was in in the Navy, and he worked in the submarines as an engineer, like all this cool stuff, and now he builds, like, underwater robotics, and just, like, a really cool guy. So we're hitting it off, and as we drive to to go watch Spider-Man, and as I'm getting out of the car, he, he, he hands me all this candy. He's like, hey, man, put this in your pocket. And I'm like, oh, no. I was like, man, I can't, I can't do that. He's like, why not? I was like, well, there's this sign on the door, and it says no outside food or drink. I mean, I just, I don't know if I could bring all this candy in. And he's like, what? I was like, yeah, I just, it's their property, man. They can do whatever they want. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I can't bring it in. He's like, he just looks at me all strange like, are you serious? I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, you can't have any, though. I was like, that's fine, that's fine. So he, he put it in his pockets, and his pockets were just bulging out because he had way more candy than he thought he was going to have um, in his pockets. So he went inside, and we were still pretty good friends, uh, but I just couldn't bring it in to the theater. And, and, and that might sound like stupid and strange, but the reality is, is, man, someone bought this piece of property, they built their business, and, they, and if they don't want me to bring stuff on, then I, I just can't bring stuff on their property. They don't want me to bring outside food or drink. And people, I've gotten into, into debates with people like, well, it's just not fair, their prices are so high. I was like, who says that's not fair? Like, it's there, no one's forcing you to buy popcorn. No one's forcing you to buy ICs. Now, I do because I love both those things. They're not paleo, but I'm a fan of the IC and the popcorn. But no one's making you buy those things. But so, so we, we think, man, like, I know this person bought this property. I know, I know they can do whatever they want. They, they sell tickets, and they have this sign that says, no outside food or drink. That doesn't apply to me. I'm going to bring outside food or drink. And this can go on and on. We talk about speeding tickets. I, I'm always funny to hear people talk about how they got a speeding ticket. It's like, I can't believe I got a ticket. Like, what were you doing? I was going 47. What was the, what was the speed limit? 40. Well, that's, that's speeding. And they're like, yeah, but it, was, it shouldn't be 40 there. Well, it says who? Besides, it's not, it's not really that fair. Well, who says who? Like, what, where does fair come from? So there's this idea of authority. I could go on and on and on where we just believe that certain rules and certain things don't apply to us. And so today we're going to talk about Jesus is going to have his authority challenged and he's going to, uh, to kind of get into a debate. And he's going to start this debate with the religious leaders of his time. And there's going to be five different stories, five different things we're going to look at over the next several weeks um, of five different controversies. And today we're just going to look at one of them. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Mark chapter 11 and we'll start in verse 27. Mark chapter 11, verse 27 And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. They said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? 
Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So Jesus went and he cleansed the temple, right? So he turned over tables and he, he got all the salespeople out of the temple courts. So the Gentiles can have access to God. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And he curses this fig tree, which really is a curse on the temple and curse on the religious people. And so he does all these things. Religious leaders are pretty upset about this because their, their power, their prestige is being challenged. And so Jesus goes back to the temple, which I don't know if I would do because I just turned everything over and he leaves. And now he's just like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to start walking around and just start teaching again. Like that's pretty gutsy. And so Jesus goes back to the temple and he's walking around, he's teaching. And the, and the, and the elders and the Pharisees and, the, and everyone comes to him. And they're like, I mean, I want to ask you this question. Like, what authority do you do these things? You cleanse the temple, you cursed us. What authority, what, like, what, where did you get that authority? And Jesus doesn't answer the question because he knows they're not looking for the truth. They're not, they don't actually want to know what authority they got him from. They just want him to say, they want him to say he, his, his own authority or the authority of God so they can call him a blasphemer and have him killed because they're plotting to kill him. So they want him to say the truth because that would allow them to kill him. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus asks them a question. Asks them, by what baptism, what authority did John baptize? Was it by heaven or from man? See, everyone loved John the Baptist back then. Everyone was a huge fan of John the Baptist. He preached repentance and faith. The kingdom of heaven was coming. People were excited the kingdom of heaven was coming. They, they, everyone believed John the Baptist was a real prophet. So they knew if they said from man, then they'd get in trouble. They'd lose their power. They'd lose their prestige. People would no longer like them because they liked John the Baptist more. They said from heaven, then Jesus could say, well, why didn't you believe John? Well, why don't you believe me? Because John told you that I was the Messiah. John told everyone that I was the one everyone was waiting for. So why don't you believe him? So they were in this, so they're, they're arguing with themselves saying, well, we can't, we're not going to, we, we don't know what to say. Because they were afraid. So Jesus said, or they said, we don't know. And Jesus said, well, neither, neither am I. I'm not going to tell you the authority I have then. But we know that Jesus is the authority, that Jesus gets his authority from God. But these Pharisees were afraid of men more than they were afraid of God. And they were, um, they didn't want the truth. They didn't want to consider the actual evidence. They wanted, they didn't want the truth. <coughs> Excuse me. So here's the reality. In our lives, there's often times where we don't want the truth. We may, we may ask the right questions or, or even look in the right places, but we don't actually want the truth. We don't want to know. We don't want to actually consider the real evidence. And, and then there's the other, other side of it where sometimes we're afraid of men more than we're afraid of God. We're afraid of what we're going to look like or we're afraid of losing our power and our prestige and who we are and our status than we are of God. But we know that Jesus is the ultimate authority. We know that Jesus, the same Jesus who, who raised the little girl from the dead, the same Jesus who calmed the, the storms, the same Christ who walked on water is the, is the one who has authority over all creation. In Colossians it said, it said Christ, Jesus, all, all things were created through Jesus and all things were created for Jesus. He has the ultimate authority. God has authority over all that he created. It's not a popular idea. Because we feel like we want to have our own rights and we have these rights and we have these intrinsic things that we, we deserve. But the reality is God, the Bible says over and over again in, Psalm, in Psalms 152 and, and Daniel that God created everything 
and he can do with it as he wills. He can do whatever he wants with what he created. Now, now he has a certain character that governs how he, how he responds to creation because he's love, because he's good, because he's just, but he's also merciful. So there's certain things we can know about God and know what he's going to do with his creation, but the reality is he can do whatever he wills because he is God. He created it all. And that's really good news for us, that there's this creator who created everything, and he's the ultimate authority, that you're not the ultimate authority in your life, that the government isn't the ultimate authority in your life, that your, um, your house is ultimately should be governed by God. Your life should be governed by God, but oftentimes we put ourselves on the throne. But the good news is that there's a creator God who created everything, and he also created, he has authority over everything, but he also created a way for us to know him. He created a way for us to know who he is and know what he wants from us. He didn't just create us and leave. He created us and he exercises ultimate authority. And he's given us a way to know him. And that way for us is Jesus. Jesus makes a way. So just like Jesus cleansed out the outer courts of the temple so that the Gentiles can have access to God through prayer, Jesus gives us access. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he, the, the, that, that veil in the Holy of Holies we talked about a couple weeks ago was, was torn in two. So now men have access to God again. That men can know God, that men can commune with God. Just like Adam and Eve got to walk with God through the day, we can walk with God. And the primary way in which we do that is through the Bible. The primary way in which we can know God and know who he is is through the Bible. So let's look at, let's look at a, a verse here, and it's... Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll pick it up in verse 16. It's going to be up here for you guys, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So how do we know God? How do we know Jesus? How do we know the one who has ultimate authority? The Bible. How should we know what behavior should look like once we're in him? This says that the Bible teaches, reproofs, and corrects the man of God. That the person who is outside of faith, they don't see this as authoritative. But the man of God, the woman of God, should see this as authority, that it should bear weight on their life. And, the re- and so sometimes churches, because they know people don't see this as authoritative, they'll, they'll, they'll tend to shy away from the Bible when it comes to teaching about Jesus and teaching uh, about the gospel because, and, and it created this whole, um, what people call the seeker-sensitive movement where churches are, are seeker-sensitive. And, and I just, I, I don't, I'm not against seeker-sensitive movement, but I think the application of that is just, it, it doesn't work out. Because someone, if, if someone's truly a seeker, then they're sensitive to this book. And so we can use this book and we can use the word of God and we can use the Bible to teach them about who Christ is and to teach them um, who God is. But at, at, at the Grove Church, this is what we believe about the Bible. We believe that it's the sufficient and errant word of God. And so the idea that the Bible is sufficient means it has everything that we need for life and godliness. That the Bible has all that we need to live a godly life. We don't need extra things. We don't need anything else outside the Bible to live a godly life. Now, there's lots of things that are helpful. There's lots of things that um, enable us to understand the Bible more rightly. 
but we don't need anything else, that it's sufficient in and of itself to learn about God. And we believe that it's the inerrant word of God, which means there's no errors in here, that all we need for life and faith is found in this book, and there's no errors. Now, let me be clear from the beginning, though, that I do not love the Bible. I love the God of the Bible. See, there's lots of people who just love the Bible, and they don't really have this love for the God of the Bible. And when we do that, it causes all sorts of problems. The Bible is given to me by God to know him and to love him more. But if we love the Bible and we don't love God, we become a hard-hearted moron who, hurts pe- who hurt people way more than they help anyone. And we have to love the God of the Bible. Otherwise, we're just going to do damage more than we'll ever bring life into the kingdom. The Bible is sufficient and inerrant, but it's not God. And this is good news because there's some really beautiful things in this book about how God pursues his people, about how God pursues us and how God has made a way for us to stand rightly and holy before him despite not really being holy or blameless, right? So we all know that we're guilty. We can look at our lives and know that we're guilty. We know that God in his word, because of the Bible, God looks at us and declares us not guilty, that even, that, that even if you think you're this awesome person, Romans is, and Isaiah is going to say that on your best day, you're like filthy rags. But God looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Christ. And that, that this idea of God's anger and his wrath towards sinners is really the basis of our hope. That even though he's angry, even though he's wrathful towards sinners, that he loves us and he pursues us and he's made a way. Because when we start to get away from that idea, then we don't really need a savior anymore. If we think we're awesome and I don't really need a savior, I'm not that bad, then you don't need a savior. Then you're okay. You don't need Jesus. You don't need God. But we were designed for a creator. It doesn't matter what else is going on in your life. If you're not underneath this idea that you were designed for God, to pursue God, it doesn't matter what happens in your life. It doesn't matter you get the house you think you always want, you get the job you think you always want, you get the truck you think you always want. You're always going to want more because nothing will ever satisfy you like Christ. Nothing will ever satisfy you like God. That's what the whole point of the book of Ecclesiastes is. That all this stuff on earth is pointless, it's meaningless. But the Bible says that in our wickedness and in our depravity, that God loves us, that he's called us to himself, and he's made a way for us in this right standing. So the good news of the Bible is that there's a God who's wooing us unto himself under the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, away from anything you could do, your effort, anything you could do. He's wooing you to him. And all you have to do is submit yourself to him. And all the commands of the Bible, all these commands he tells us to do will no longer feel like chains, but it'll feel like pursuing the God who loves you so much because you love him, no matter how difficult that command is. And there's going to be difficult commands. There's going to be things in the Bible that are hard to read, things in the Bible that you're not going to like. But when, when we start to know that this is who God is and he loves me and he, and he cares for me and he's a good father, when we get to those difficult commands and those difficult parts of the Bible, we submit to them knowing that he's good, that this looks, this is difficult, this is hard, but he's good and I can, I can, I can go there and I, can, I, I might grieve and weep losses and even gnash clothes and tear, tear our, um, gnash our teeth, tear, tear our claws like, like Job did. 
He tore his clothes and he said, he said, naked I came from mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So you see this guy who lost his children, he lost his family, he lost all his earthly possessions and he's able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord you give and take away. His view of God because of what he knew about God allowed him in the deepest possible pain to say God is still good. God is still good. And that only comes from knowing who God is. And knowing who God is comes from the Bible. It doesn't come from feelings, like we feel like God is like. I love when people say, like, well, my God would never do that. My God would never be angry with people. He's a God of love. And it's just like, I just don't know who your God is anymore then. Because the Bible says that God is a God of anger, and he's a God of love. In fact, you really can't have love without anger, right? If you have children, you know this implicitly. If you have a child, I mean, the moment Eliam came out of the womb and I saw him, I realized I had a capacity for anger that I didn't know I had before. And not at him, but at anyone who would come to harm him or hurt him. There was, the, there was something in me that I didn't know was there. That I, I, could, I could really harm someone who tried to hurt this little boy. And so without, without anger, I don't know if love really exists. Because it means you're not protective. It means you don't care. And so with love, you have to be angry. And so people like have these feelings of who God is, but really they're just idols. They're the God they created in their own mind and not the God of the Bible. And so we have to be people who know the God of the Bible and it's going to bring joy because there's going to be dark nights of the soul. There's going to be nights that are going to confuse you if you don't know who God is. There will be days of so much pain that will that'll seem unbearable in this Christian life. And if you don't know who God is, you're going to feel alone. You're going to feel like you did something wrong and you, 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 he, someone's punishing you. But if you know the God of the Bible, you know that he loves you and that whatever is happening right now is for your good and for your joy, even though you can't see it, through the deepest possible pain and tears, you can say, naked I came from mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His confidence was in the creator of God of the universe, who's being sovereign over all, and it loves him. So it's so important we know what this book says about God. It's why biblical literacy is so important. We should know our Bibles. And not just here at the Grove, but everywhere. Otherwise, when Easter comes around and Discovery Channel has all these new shows out about Jesus, you're going to get really confused. You're going you're to watch Discovery Channel and be like, what, Jesus married Mary Magdalene? I didn't know that. Zach never talks about that. They went to Egypt and had kids. He's never mentioned that. That's because it's not true. And it's not in here. And so we don't talk about it because it's not in the Bible. And so we have to know our Bible so we can, we can know when we're hearing false teaching. We can know when things aren't right. When you come here to the Grove, we're always going to be preaching from this book. We're always going to be talking about Jesus. Here's a, here's a testament to the Bible's sufficiency and authority. I did some, some research this past week, um, and every single time over the last 200 years when a mainline denomination has decided, and they decide things like this, like we're not reaching people anymore with this book, so let's go ahead and let's soften the message. 
and let's try, let's try what other things say. Let's change some things. Let's, let's tweak it to soften the message of Jesus. Let's, let's kind of do away with like, the substitutionary atonement of Christ because the fact that God, like, God had to kill his son to save us, it's like, that's a heavy message, right? So let's get rid of that and let's just talk about some other things. Every time a mainline has a denomination has, has done that and they have done that, they've just rang the death bell, death bell and they go from a slight decline to a deep decline. Because when you move away from, from Scripture, and you move away from the Word of God, you move away what's sufficient and authoritative in growing disciples and changing lives. That's why as long as you come to this church, you're always going to hear me preach the Bible, even verses you don't want to hear. Even verses that we would never put on coffee cups. Because we only put cute verses on coffee cups, right? We don't put like... And sometimes the cute verses we put on coffee cups actually aren't that cute of verses. Like the idea that, uh, like up here, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. Like I wanted to put that up because that is a terrifying verse. It is, it's terrifying. The idea that David so is longing for God that he feels like he's close to death, like a dehydrated deer. For some reason, he doesn't, he doesn't feel God's presence. But he longs for it so much. That's not a coffee cup verse. We shouldn't put a, a buck on the back of a t-shirt and put that verse in the front. That doesn't make any sense because this verse, I mean like, because my thing with that verse is, man, I don't feel like that. When I feel far, far from the Lord, I don't know if I feel like I'm going about to die. But David did. And my prayer is that someday God would give me such a desire for him that when I don't feel his presence, I would feel close to death like a deer longing for water. So my hope is that you would see Jesus is lovely. You'd see him as authoritative. Unlike the Pharisees who were afraid of men and afraid to lose their power, that you would submit under, under, underneath scripture. Submit your lives and say, if the Bible says this, I'm just going to do it. I know it might be hard. I know my, my people might look at me strange. People might see me as strange, but I'm just going to do it. I'm going to submit to the authority of scripture. I'm going to submit to the authority of Christ, to God who wrote scripture. Because my hope is that you would have a desire to know God, the God who has saved you, who has redeemed you and called you to himself. And that you would grow more confident when you read the Bible and, and God says uh, sex works like this and money works like this and life works like this. You wouldn't go, oh, oh, I, I better do that because God's really big and he's going to blow me up if I don't. But you would say, man, I, I want to know him more. And if this is where I get to know him more, then I want to walk in this. If, 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 if spending my money like this is, is how I get to know him more, I want to I walk in this. If, if, if uh, spending my time like this is how I get to know him more, I want to I spend my time like this. And that would drive you to the scriptures instead of away from the scriptures. And so typically when we, when we have a time like this, you talk about, hey, we should read our Bible, we should do this. We have, um, we, you know, people talk, go into quiet times. We should have quiet times, right? This idea of like, hey, every morning you should have quiet times. Here's the problem with, with, with that, and I, I want everyone to hear me because it's important. People have been doing quiet times for years. People have been talking about quiet times for t decades. And studies show that the church is more biblically illiterate than they were decades ago. So, I mean, so, so just statistically, the math shows quiet times might not actually work well. The fact of you spending 10, 15 minutes in the Bible every day might mean you don't get enough of the Bible to really understand what you're reading. So maybe instead of 10, 15 minutes every day, maybe, maybe, maybe you're the person, your, your personality type is you need to spend like 45 minutes or an hour once or twice a week. Maybe you don't read your Bible every day. 
Is that weird a pastor saying maybe you don't read your Bible every day? Maybe you don't read your Bible every day. Maybe you read it twice a week for a prolonged period of time so you could really understand what you're reading. Maybe, maybe you read through the whole book of Romans instead of just five verses. So you can understand the whole book and you can read it in its context. And what Paul, because here's the thing, if, if I wrote Margie like a love letter when we were dating, I wouldn't expect her to read like three sentences and be like, man, that was so good. I'll read more tomorrow. Like she's going to read the whole thing its entirety. And then she might go back through and be like, and pick out some parts that like really like she loved, made her feel encouraged and welcomed um, and loved. And so maybe that means some of us do away with quiet times. We should pray all the time, but maybe sometimes our study of the scripture should be 45 minutes, an hour, once, twice a week, where we really dig into scripture, really dig into what we're reading. I mean, and then throughout the rest of the week, maybe you meditate on a couple of verses from Romans that stood out to you, or First or John, or whatever you decide to read, you start to meditate on those verses, like, hey, that verse really stood out to me, I'm going to write on this index card, I'm going to bring it with me, I'm going to keep it in my pocket, and just throughout the day, I'm just going to look at that verse and just meditate on that verse. So, so our study of scripture doesn't have to look like this thing I think we've been taught that it has to look like. It doesn't have to be like this daily communion through Scripture, but this study of God's Word. We want to know Him more. We all can read the Bible. We all can. Uh, I talked to a lot of people. I was a youth pastor for many years, and you get a lot of uh, kids or even parents who are just like, hey, I'm, just not, I'm just not a reader. Like, I can't. I have a hard time getting into this. Hard time getting into that. I get that. I get that. But he, here's the reality. The same kids, the same teenagers who have a hard time getting the Bible, they could tell me every single thing about their favorite sports team. They could tell me every single thing about where this guy went to school, how many points he averaged at this place, and what he's doing now, and where he's going. And they, they knew all these things about the stuff they loved. So oftentimes the problem when we can't get into Scripture, we're having trouble getting into Scripture, isn't like a, an intellectual, I just don't understand it. A lot of times it's a heart issue. It's I just don't, I don't want to. And I get there. I get that. And so that drives us to our knees in prayer and saying, God, just give me a desire for your word. Like, I know I'm supposed to want to be in your word, but I don't want to be in your word. Would you help me be in your word? Like, I want to want to be in your word. I want to want to know you. Would you help me know you more? And if you have trouble reading your Bible, if you have trouble understanding what you're reading um, at our, our Get in the Grove luncheon uh, on November 5th, I'm gonna have some uh, some material you guys can take home and, and kind of just help you, some questions to ask yourself as you read a passage of scripture, some questions to ask yourself that will help you kind of understand it in its context. And, and here's the thing, like I want the, the, the men and the women of the Grove to know their Bible so they can come here and, and, they're, and they're confident enough to say, Zach, I don't know if that's what that says. And I've been wrong before. I remember the first time, this is the first time I preached, I I was preaching, my, my youth pastor in high school said, Zach, I want you to preach on, on Romans 12. And so I'm, I'm looking at Romans 12, and, and Romans 12 is really stinking cool. And so I, oh, not Romans 12, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12. So he, Hebrews chapter 12 is, is really cool, and it, and it talks about um, this idea that we are be, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And because we're, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, we can run the race that, that's set before us. And I was, so I was like, man, it's like I got this text and I looked at it and I, I get up and I preach. And I'm, like, I'm like, hey guys, like everyone's watching you. All these people, there's so many people around you who are watching you. You need to run the race well because people are watching. You might be the only Jesus they ever see. Like you might be the only Bible. I used all the cool cliche Christian things. Like you might be the only Bible they ever read and all these things, right? 
I get done preaching, and my, my youth pastor's like, I was like, how did I do? He's like, how is, you said a lot of really good stuff. Unfortunately, none of it was in Romans, or in Hebrews 12. See, the great cloud of witnesses, it says, therefore, the great cloud of witnesses is talking about all the men of faith who came before us. So, so the great cloud of witnesses was not all the people watching us, but it was all the people who came before us. And so it's saying, because people have done it before, because Christ has given strength to others, he can give the same strength to you to run the race. So what I said wasn't wrong, it just wasn't in that text, and I was mortified. I felt like a, a, a big old dummy. Um, and I, I determined never to preach again without looking before and after, like chapters and chapters and chapters to make sure I wasn't preaching something out of the context again. And I want that, like I want people here to be like, Zach, I don't know if the Bible says that. This is what I think the Bible says. I want you to know and be confident that much. I want to close with a couple, couple quick things. Uh, this October 31st is Halloween, right? Uh, it's also something else that's really cool. Um, it's the 500th anniversary of the, of the Great Reformation. And so 500 years ago, in 1517, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses on the church wall in, in, in Wittenberg. And he started this Reformation. He was, I mean, he didn't start it. He, he, he's the main figure, but there's a lot of guys like John Calvin and uh, and, and even, even more than that, to start this idea. And what they did is, is they saw that the, the Catholic Church, or the church then, um, had these beliefs that they didn't line up with Scripture. These beliefs that you had to do these things to be saved, that, that it wasn't just faith that saved you, but it was these good deeds that saved you, like paying certain kinds of money to the church. Um, there was this idea of indulgences where you could spend money to save people. There's a lot of stuff going on. But Martin Luther he decided that no, that's not, the church does not have the ultimate authority, but scripture does. Scripture governs what the church teaches. And so that was the main idea of the Reformation was that it wasn't necessarily about faith and about works, but it was the idea of, of where do we go to for authority? Do we go to the church or do we go to scripture? And the idea was we go to scripture. Scripture is ultimate authority. Here's the, here's the thing. Uh, Pew Research did a, did a did a poll this past, uh, this past couple months. And the poll was, do you, it was asking if you believe that you need faith and works for salvation. Faith and works for salvation in order to be saved. And 52% of Protestants said yes. Yes, you do. Now, the biggest problem with that is going to be mostly Scripture, in fact, all of Scripture, where it says you don't need any good works to be saved. In fact, all you need is faith. Faith alone justifies you. That's what the whole Reformation was, was, was fought over, was faith alone, because, not, not, because the authority of Scripture says faith saves you. Faith justifies you. And so there was a split from the Catholic Church where it was, it was the Catholic Church saying, no, faith and good works saves you, and, and the Protestants saying, no, faith alone saves you. But here we are 500 years later, and over half of the Protestants still they believe more like the Catholic Church of 1517 than, than what the Bible says today and has always said. So there's, there's a problem with, with biblical literacy. And my prayer is that we would drive to the Bible because it has everything we need for life and godliness. It speaks in every area of life, and I'll close with this, but it speaks with ev to every area in our life. And when I say that, I don't mean it's like a map to your life, that it's going to tell you who to marry, where to go to school, what job to take, what to do in every situation. 
but it gives you principles on how to live. It gives you principles to live by. Um, maybe, maybe this would help. Uh, the, when I met Margie, it was in 2007, I met Margie, and when I saw her across the room, I felt like, man, I really, really like that girl. I really like her. I knew, um, I thought to myself, like, I want to marry that girl. Now, I very quickly suppressed that feeling because uh, I'd just come out of a relationship in high school, and I didn't, I was just first year in college, and I really, I really wanted to stay single, single for a while. Um, she was a bit older than me, and I wasn't really in a good place emotionally, so I tried to suppress it. But less than a year later, we were engaged, uh, and then nine years later, uh, we're married now for nine years, uh, and we've been together for ten. But this is why I married Margie. I didn't marry her because I looked across the room and I had this feeling, man, I, that's my wife. I'm going to marry her. Or the Bible says, you should marry Margie. The Bible doesn't have the word Margie in it, believe it or not. Uh, that's not what happened. But what I did read in this book is I found out what God's like and what God wants from us and what he's like. And it says in this Bible, in Proverbs 31, that he who finds a wife finds what is good. Marriage is good. And I read in Proverbs 31 that charm is deceitful and beauty is, inv- is vain. So I had to take Margie's considerable hotness and just take that off the table and look into her heart. So when I look into her heart and I think, man, it, it, does she love Jesus? Does she love God? Um, does she love the word? Does she love the word of God? Does, is she strong enough to help sharpen me? Like, would she say, no, Zach, I think you're wrong about this. This, this, this is what... This is what the Bible says, and that was quickly answered, yes, she does that a lot. Um, she's definitely strong enough to do that. So the Bible gave me principles on how to look for a spouse. It didn't say, Mary Marjorie, it gave me principles. It gives you principles on how to find a job and how to live life. It speaks into every area of life because it speaks to who God is, and we are to be like Christ. And it governs how we act, and it governs how we respond to people, and it, it governs how we live our life, and it governs men, how you lead your house, and it governs how you, not just what job to find, but how you work at work. You should not be lazy at work. You shouldn't sit around doing nothing. You should work hard and work as, as if you're working unto the Lord. And so it, it, it speaks into every area of your life because it speaks to what your character should be like. And when it speaks to what your character should be like, it speaks to what your actions should be. We need to recognize the authority of Christ and know that he has spoken and he's spoken in here. And so my prayer is that I think a lot of us, we struggle getting into the word and that we just be honest with that with people and be like, man, like I don't know what I'm reading in here. I don't, I don't know if it makes sense. Would you help me? Would you help me? Maybe, maybe people get together and just read the Bible together. Maybe um, you, you move from quiet times or, or constantly failing at quiet times because that's also another thing, quiet times, right? Like you're like, I need to read the Bible every day because someone told me I need to. And then you read it for like three days and you stop and you're like, oh, I got, I got. for me, it's like, I'm going to start again on Monday because every time I fail at something that I'm going to do every day, oh, I feel like I have to start on Monday. Is that a weird thing? It's mostly with the diets, but I do it with a lot of things. Um, but this book will help us know God, and when we know God, we'll have more joy in those dark nights and, and, and even nights that aren't so dark just throughout our lives. So my prayer is that we would know Christ and know who he is, that we'd be men and women of the word, and that, um, that this church and the church would be marked by men and women who know Jesus and who love him because they know him and how he's, they don't have these ideas or feelings about who he is, but they know him because of what the Bible reveals about him. 
So we'll, we'll sing a couple songs together, uh, and then I'll come up and, and close this in prayer. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I just, just come before you, Lord, um, thankful that uh, you created all things, and yet you didn't leave us alone, Lord, that you sent your Son to show us who you are and what you're like. You sent your Son to provide a way for us to come back to you, Lord, and that we can know you and uh, know you well, God. And I pray, Lord, that right now, Lord, you just start to ignite a fire in our hearts, Lord, to know you. And, uh, and for your words, we can know you better and, uh, and, and, and love you and pursue you and make much of your name in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, Lord, that we would just um, be a light, God, uh, of truth and hope. So we love you, Lord. I pray that you would just work in uh, our community at the Grove and in beyond, Lord, making us men and women who love you, the God of the word, God, and who would uh, know you more intimately, Lord, and help others to know you as well. Lord, I pray for, uh, for this week, Lord, and as, as uh, we go through this week, you'd prepare the way for us, God, that we would follow you and we would um, do all the good works you've laid out before us, God. I pray you'd bless everyone here, Lord. You bless their conversation after church and just the rest of their day, God, with their families. And I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys.